Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you this morning and to celebrate Jesus' resurrection on this Easter Sunday. If you would, turn in your copies of Scripture with me to John chapter 20. We're going to look at the entire chapter this morning, so a bit longer passage than we have been looking at in the weeks uh, coming, but for the weeks coming up to this, but this is a beautiful passage of Scripture, uh, John's account of the resurrection of Jesus. So John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, and let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to lane, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad, and when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands... And the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve 
but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Well, dear friends, our key truth this morning, this blessed Sunday Easter morning, is this. By rising from the dead to life, Jesus bears witness to the truth that everyone who believes in him has eternal life. Truth that everyone who believes in him has resurrection of Jesus. The very stamp, the very stamp of authenticity upon all of God's promises, the reason for our hope, the very ground of our confidence in Christ. Paul will later say to the Corinthians, if Jesus has not been raised, then our faith is worse than futile. And we, out of all the people in the world, are most to be pitied if in this life only we have hope in Christ. But we do not only in this life have hope in Christ. No, because Jesus has risen from the the grave. Now, do we believe the truth of it? We, good Christians that many of us are, we, we say that we do. But oftentimes I think we have trouble really believing and really feeling the import of this. After all, a question for us, I think, is what does it take to believe that something is true? We may say, good modern people that we are, well, evidence, no seeing is believing after all. In many ways, that can be true. But it is in this, with this question in view that John relates the wonderful circumstances of Jesus' resurrection in this chapter. He has his eye, as he has had his eye all throughout his gospel, upon the singular prize of faith in Jesus. And that is why John is always pointing us to witnesses, Christ above all, as the witness above all. And his word is this, test the words of this witness, Jesus Christ, by the integrity of his character. And test the witnesses who saw Jesus and heard Jesus and reported all that he did, test the witnesses by the authenticity of their response to him, the authenticity of their persons. And that is the reason for the closing words of our text, in some ways the closing words of John's gospel. These things are written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. Those are stunning words, stunning words with profound implications. And as you can see, it makes the key truth for us this morning from all these words in this chapter very easy. Jesus bears witness to the truth that everyone who believes in him has life in his name. Now, time would really fail us to explore how this big idea is communicated in each of the episodes in this chapter. There's just a lot going on, isn't there? This was a very busy day for Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> Some people have pointed out that there are probably, if you, you know, collect all the appearances of Jesus in this chapter and throughout all the gospel accounts, about five different or discrete appearances of Jesus to different people on this first day. There's a lot going on, and it was a busy day even for Jesus. And in this chapter, we see Peter and John racing to the tomb, racing. Can, can this really be true? Can the tomb really be empty? We see Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, one of the upper room. 
What a thing it would have been to witness that. To, to see Jesus and the first words on his lips to you are peace. The one word that probably best summarizes all that salvation brings to God's people, peace. And then to hear him say, receive the Holy Spirit. As I have been on mission, a mission from my Father to preach good news to the lost, so now I am sending you on that same mission, and you, you will need help to do it, so receive the Holy Spirit. What a profound thing it would have been to be there, to witness that. And of course, Thomas, we can't forget Thomas, what a thing. What a week that fellow must have had. <laughs> he wasn't there with the disciples on that first day of the week. He seems to have been overcome by his doubts, and he was suffering, as far as we can tell, all alone. A week later, Jesus appears to him in great mercy. Oh, what a thing that was. But what a week he must have had. But here Jesus is. Peace be with you. Don't disbelieve, but believe. So there's a lot going on in this chapter. But if we have to choose an event to devote our attention to, surely Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene is an easy choice. It is one of the most moving passages in all of Scripture. Would you know for sure that Jesus has risen from the dead? Well, then just hear the testimony of our beloved sister Mary, which rings down through the ages for us too. I have seen the Lord. Would you be rooted and built up in this truth? Would you feel it in your soul that he died not only for others, but for you also? Would you be more certain that Jesus is the Christ and that all who believe in him have life in his name? Well, hear the testimony of Jesus spoken to Mary, which he spoke not only for her benefit, but for ours also. Her testimony is for us too. Can we modern, enlightened people believe this woman too? Can we believe her? We ought to. We will miss a great deal if we don't. So let's see how Jesus responds to Mary Magdalene and the great comfort it is, the witness that it is for us. Notice, first of all, that Mary approaches the tomb on the first day of the week. That's, that may seem to us to be a very familiar note because we are so used as Christians to worshiping on Sunday. But for John to record this would have been pretty explosive in his Jewish context. It's the first day of the week. In other words, this is signaling to us there is now a new relation between God and the world. Since the days of Moses, Jewish people had marked as especially significant the last day of the week. And they had done that for a very good reason. It was on the last day of the week that the Lord God finished his work of creation. And on that day, he rested in his goodness. But now, something new has happened. God has begun to relate to the world on a new plane of existence, not only is he the transcendent creator with the promised word of salvation? But now, in the person of his beloved son, Jesus Christ, he is the imminent savior, the redeemer, our friend, our brother, who dwells with us now, never to leave us. Jesus is always with us. So you and I are living merely in the first day of an entirely new reality. We are waiting, we are looking with either eager expectation and hope for the full thing. Never forget it, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. But when we finally see Jesus face to face, I think it will be the case that we will say, 
you know, Lord, from the first day that I met you, I began to live in heaven. When we gather to worship on the first day of the week, you and I, we are, as it were, planting our foot in another world. We're preparing for it. We're preparing our hearts to see it, to love it, our affections to rejoice in the Lord, to realize all that we have now been made in him. How can we worship with God's people on Sunday and find it boring so long as we think of it like that? Well, we can't. So Mary comes to the tomb early on the first day of the week. Now, John only mentions Mary here, although we know that there were other women who went with her. Luke, for example, he adds uh, that there was, along with Mary Magdalene, that there was Joanna, who was the wife of the steward of King Herod, a very important woman with a lot of influence. There was Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them. And he tells us that these women, Luke tells us, saw the empty tomb and the angels, and immediately they ran and told the disciples... But strangely, it seemed to the disciples to be just an empty tale, and they did not believe them. How frustrating that must have been. <laughs> you know, the, the presuppositions, the, some of the language that we use nowadays, is the priors of these disciples really prohibited them from trusting the testimony of these women. How frustrating that must have been. Oh, what they missed in that moment. Of course, Jesus was kind and gracious even to the disciples, but they missed something initially. We still deal with some of those priors today, I think. But why just Mary in John's gospel? Well, I think that like a good filmmaker puts an actor into frame, or like a good photographer puts a subject into focus, so John puts Mary into our focus so that we get the benefit of the Lord's profound encounter with her. It should not surprise us that the Holy Spirit is a great artist, and that in the weaving of this tale, he, in this particular gospel, delights to showcase Jesus' encounter with Mary and to highlight it, as it were, so that it is, as it were, Mary were the only one standing here, so that we could get the benefit of the Lord's profound encounter with her. And oh, what a sight she saw. To see that stone rolled away from the tomb, don't you think it would have made her heart race? Wouldn't it have made your heart race? You don't know what has happened in that moment. She didn't. So she ran to see Peter and John. They were probably staying, as far as we can tell, in John's house. We know that he had a house in Jerusalem. That's probably where the disciples were. And so John and Peter, they run. Mary's come and told them. They've rolled away the stone, but we don't know where they've taken him. So they run. Where is Jesus? And then they, 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 they arrive at the tomb. John arrives first, probably because he's younger, and maybe a bit lighter than old Peter. <laughs> John arrives first, but he's a bit hesitant. He doesn't go into the tomb right away. And Peter, true to his character, he gets there, boom, he's in there. <laughs> he's got to find out. And he sees the cloths lying there. And that's significant, that they're lying there right where Jesus had laid. So this is not the work of grave robbers. Grave robbers would have taken the whole body, right? And the cloths too, presumably. Or if they had taken, taken Jesus' body out of the cloths, they would have left them in a heap. They would not have bothered to lay them right where they were. They would not have bothered to fold the headcloth and place it on its side. So they know something is up. Something is up. And John then has the courage, finally, he sees Peter, as is usually the way. He sees Peter entering into that tomb. They did not understand from the scripture that Jesus must rise again. Oh, I think that is very wonderfully comforting to our faith. There is a lot that we ought to understand from Scripture, but often miss. 
but Jesus is still kind and the Holy Spirit is still good. And he brings to our remembrance, he brings to our minds, he brings to our understanding the things that we ought to have learned long ago, but have been so slow to learn. It was like that in the case of these disciples. But then we must leave these disciples because the text runs immediately to Mary. Now, where was Mary when all this was happening? The text doesn't really say. You would have thought that John at least would have told Mary, found Mary and told her, well, here's what I think happened. I think Jesus is risen. But, but it doesn't seem that that information was communicated to Mary. We don't know quite why. But all we do know is that she's standing here, weeping outside the tomb. Something drew her back to this tomb. She's weeping. I think this is a picture of what Jesus said in Luke 7. Those who have been forgiven much love much. We know from Luke 8 that Mary Magdalene was a follower of Jesus who had when she first met him, been set free from seven demons. We don't know exactly what all that means or what exactly she was suffering with. Some people speculate that she's the woman who, weeping, anointed Jesus' feet with oil in Luke 7. Maybe. We don't know for sure. But even if she wasn't, we know that this is still true of her. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. And Mary loved much. She loved Jesus. So she's weeping. But then... Stooping to look into the tomb, she saw two angels. How wonderfully the Lord appoints help for us when we are at our lowest. Would you, do you long to see his comfort, to see him at work? Don't be too proud to weep. The Lord has told us he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So often I feel in my own heart, oh Lord, I long to see you at work, but often I see in myself another principle at work, and it's the principle of pride. It makes me slow to weep. And I think oftentimes that deprives me of the benefit of the Lord's comfort of seeing him at work. The two angels didn't show up for Peter and John. They showed up for Mary, because I think Mary was weeping. And the Lord delights to show mercy and to kindness and to wonderfully appoint help for us when we are at our lowest. And so Mary, seeing these two angels, says to them, or they say to her, rather, why are you weeping? She says to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. It, we should not miss Mary's words here, the import of her language here. She says, they've taken away my Lord. You know, in other words, her overriding concern above all, what faith that is, that, that, that apart from everything else that is going on, apart from her own confusion, her main concern in that moment is, what has happened to the body of my Lord? And we see in great mercy, Jesus never fails to show up for those who are seeking him. So Mary, at this very moment, must have been conscious of another presence, and so she turns around, and having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know in that moment that it was Jesus, because he appeared to her as a gardener. He appeared to her as a gardener. You know, friends, in this life, we do not see Jesus at the present time, resurrected, kingly Jesus. We do not see Jesus at the present time so much in his kingly aspect as we do him in his gardening aspect. He's cultivating. He's the king, all right, but he's at work. He's cultivating faith in him. One day, we will see him in his kingly aspect, but only the people, 
Only the people who saw him and loved him in his gardening aspect will love to see him in his kingly aspect. For all those who turned their back on him and said, who would follow this gardener? Who would follow the one who loves to cultivate faith in the lowest of the low? Who would follow that one? When he comes in his kingly aspect, it will be nothing but terror for those people. Jesus is a king, all right. But for now, in great mercy and grace, we see him as a gardener. And that's good news for us, that King Jesus, resurrected King Jesus, comes to cultivate faith among us as a gardener. So Mary mistakes him. She doesn't see him, recognize him immediately. But oh, he is a king. And once he says to her her name, Mary, she immediately recognizes him. It is impossible. I, I wish I could get close to it, but it is impossible for us to speak Mary's name the way that Jesus did. Some of us, we know kind of what it's like, right? You've had a good friend that could just even, the the resonance of their voice, they could speak to you in ways that just communicated their deep and intimate knowledge of who you were. You you have a spouse and and you just have a language. You you know a certain tone. Sometimes that tone can communicate frustration, but sometimes it can communicate great love and joy. That's the way that Jesus speaks to Mary here. And all he has to say is her name. And immediately, she knows it's him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they always run towards me. And that's what happened to Mary here. And Jesus is calling each and every one of us here in the same way that he spoke to Mary. We just have to listen. Do we have the ears of faith to hear him when he calls to us? He's a king, but he speaks to us tenderly, and he speaks our name. Well, Jesus appears to Mary, and immediately it seems here, it puzzles a lot of us, it puzzles a lot of Bible scholars. Why does Jesus say to her straight away, don't cling to me, because I haven't ascended to my Father yet, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Don't cling to me. There are so many episodes in the life of Jesus that are so full of comfort, and yet immediately he does something that just seems to us so strange and maybe even a little bit uncomforting. You'd expect Jesus to really just give her a big old bear hug and just celebrate that moment right, right then and there. Well, I think, in fact, that is what Jesus is doing, but in an unexpected way. I think in the moment right here, Mary is just so overwhelmed to see Jesus, so drawn to him in that moment that she's clinging to him, as it were, for dear life, as if to say, Lord, if I let go of you, you might disappear again, and I'm worried that will happen. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is in great comfort saying, Mary, you don't have to worry. I'm not yet ascended yet. I'm still here. I'm still going to be with you. You don't have to cling on to me for dear life. I'll be with you. And in fact, I've got an important mission for you. The most important mission in the whole world. I need you to go and tell my brothers I am ascending. That the promise of salvation is here. It's been accomplished. It is finished. And you, beloved Mary, are the privileged one who gets to go and tell my brothers this message. Mm, What a privilege that is. What a remarkable thing that is. What a remarkable turn of events in the space of probably less than even five minutes to go from weeping to seeing these two angels, to seeing the Lord's comfort in that moment, then to turning around to seeing Jesus right there, confusing him at first, but then 
to hear her voice spoken by to hear her name spoken by his voice, this tender voice, and then to be given this privileged mission to go and to tell his brothers, I am ascending. And oh, the language that Jesus uses. Let's not miss this. Go and tell my brothers. Charles Spurgeon pointed out that the higher Jesus gets in glory, the more tender are his expressions of love. While Jesus was here with us on earth, oh, he was very loving, but oftentimes the highest privilege that we got was to be called his friends. Oh, it is a marvelous thing to be called a friend of Jesus, but even more marvelous than that, to be called his brother. And the highest he gets in glory, the more tender are his expressions of love to you and me. Who has ever known a savior like that? Who has ever known a king like that? That the higher he gets, the more low he gets in his expression of love and tenderness for the very lowest of us. His brothers, really his brothers? The guys who are hiding in that locked room because they're afraid of the Jews? Yes, his brothers. And he says to them, to Mary, tell them I am ascending to my father. There is deep theology here. There is the deepest closeness that we could ever hope for. Jesus is father and our father. Jesus is God and our God. There's also an important difference. Jesus doesn't say to our father and to our God because Jesus as ever relates to his father in a different way than we do because he's the son the only begotten Son, very God of very God, the image of the invisible God. So Jesus is emphasizing here both the difference between us and him and the closest possible communion that we could ever hope to achieve in him. His Father and our Father. His God and our God. We're his brothers. Do you know, dear friends, that the thing that will make heaven seem like home is that our brother will be on the throne. The thing that will make heaven seem like the place that you were always made for, as different from this present world as it will be, as different as our resurrected bodies will be, with no more cramps and pains and sicknesses and aches and confusions and misunderstandings, as different as all that will be, the thing that will make heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, feel like the place that we were always made for is that when we look at the throne, there'll be somebody who looks like us, with our nature, with our humanity, resurrected in glory and power. Jesus is our brother, and he makes heaven our home. What a message that is, and what a message and privilege it was for Mary to run and to tell the disciples. Mm -hmm. Well, does Mary's message meet with acceptance from the disciples? We don't know. We don't know. Probably, the initial declaration that Mary gave to these disciples was met with not much more faith than Luke records. When she, Luke records that the disciples responded to the message of the women as if it were an idle tale. But, but we have to see here that there is still significance in this message, maybe even if it was not believed in that immediate moment. Many, many years before, in the garden, Adam and Eve enjoyed fellowship with God. And then it was taken away by another kind of antichrist figure, the tempter, the deceiver. And he spoke a word very different from the word that Jesus speaks to this, this woman in this garden. 
He spoke a word of distrust in God, which ultimately proved to be the very ruin of all of mankind. But then the Lord God, in great mercy, showed up in that garden, and he promised that the seed of the woman would come and undo the curse. And so now, in this garden, in this garden encounter, that very seed that was once promised comes to this woman and gives her the fulfillment of that promise and gives her the privilege of declaring her in that moment there is still deep significance in what is happening here. This is the gospel. Oh, what a wonderful thing. How wonderfully John relates this gospel for our benefit. This message, this mission that he gave to Mary is not just for her benefit, but for ours also. And we must hear her when she says, I have seen the Lord. Would you know more deeply that Jesus has risen? Hear Mary's testimony. I have seen the Lord. Would you feel it in your bones that it really is true, not only for others, but for you also? Hear her testimony. I have seen the Lord. What shall we say in response to all of these things? Well, I just have one word of application for us, and that is, we must be humble people. We must be humble people. We will not really get the benefit of all of God's gracious gospel promises. We will not really get the benefit of Easter joy in the resurrection unless we're humble. To illustrate what I mean, let me share with you this quote. This comes from Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Schumacher in their book, Worthy, Celebrating the Value of Women. Here's what they say. Excuse me, let me get to the... All right, here's what they say. Jesus' choice of these women as gospel heralds reminds us of the nature of his kingdom. It is not of this world. The first century regarded the testimony of women as weak and foolish, low and despised, an idle tale. But God did not save his people through the world's version of wisdom and strength. He saved them through the cross. Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Those whom Christ calls into his kingdom and sends out on mission match the message. They are stumbling blocks and foolishness to the world. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, so that no human being may, might boast in the presence of God. Amen. Friends, that may seem like a strange note to end on on this Easter morning, but in fact, I think it's the, the best one that we can take from these verses in John. We must be humble people if we are to appreciate the benefit that the resurrection gives to us as God's people in him. We must be humble people if we are to hear him, if we are to hear the witness of Jesus. John is so careful in his gospel to highlight the witness of Christ to us, and that's why throughout this series we have highlighted that as well. Hear the witness of Jesus in all of his work, and especially in his passion, all the events leading up to his death and resurrection. Hear how it witnesses to us that we are the Lord's and we have life in his name, but we will not hear it if we are proud. What does it take to believe? Fundamentally this, humility. Humility. Unless we're humble people, all this will pass us by. We will not believe, we will disbelieve. Even when the very facts of the resurrection are before us, at the end of the day, it's true. We don't need more knowledge. The basic problem that we have is not fundamentally a knowledge problem, it's a heart problem. And so, oh, how gracious the Lord is to soften our hearts, to give us humility before him. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Because John said, these things are written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ 
and believing have life in his name. Even as Mary said, I have seen the Lord. So John 20, verses 1 through 31, teaches us that by rising from the dead to life, Jesus bears witness to the truth that everyone who believes in him has eternal life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunity that you give us to be reminded of the gospel. Lord, we are so grateful that you, O Lord, in your great wisdom, did not design the gospel to come to us by impressions in our hearts or vague words that are just out there in the world. No, you chose to communicate your gospel to us through witnesses. Most fundamentally, Lord, through the witness of Jesus Christ, O Lord, help us to hear him. And also, Lord, through the witness of your people who saw him in his earthly days, who saw him according to the flesh, who saw him in his resurrected power, O Lord, help us to hear the voices of these people, to hear Mary say to us, I have seen the Lord. And Lord, help it not to be to affect our hearts, Lord, to draw us to Jesus, to put our faith and our trust in him in every event of our lives, to ask, where is Jesus and how can I know him more deeply, to be rooted and built up in the love that he shows us. Because the higher he goes, Lord, in his resurrected, exalted power, the more condescending, Lord, he is to us in great mercy and power. And he calls us his sons and his daughters, his brothers and his sisters. So, Lord, help us to rejoice in this truth by your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to be humble and in this way to be raised up with you to heights that we could scarcely imagine, raised up with you in glory and power by trusting in Jesus. And we ask it in his mighty saving name. Amen.